Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to the first message in this new series. I'm calling it uh, Mercy and Grace, the Glory and Power of God. Man, I don't even know. I'm I'm so excited about this, and I'm so pumped up about it, and I have in my heart everything that I really want to pass on and teach you about this, but you know what? Sometimes you get this in your heart, and it's so beyond what you even know how to put into words, and that's kind of where I am today. I mean, I know I'm going to preach a message to you. I know I've got words to say to you, and I think they're going to benefit you. I think they're going to help you greatly. But it's just one of those situations where I know crystal clearly what it is that I want to convey, but it's almost so beyond human comprehension that there are no words to say it. There are no ways to explain it. But, you know, we're going to be talking about uh, mercy, glory, and power. You know what I mean? Let me just ask you this. If you, you know, you were facing some really, really challenging situations or maybe some hardships or some difficulties, and, and so you were seeking God, and you said, God, I just, I need power. I need strength. I, you know, I want your power and strength to manifest in me. And God spoke right out of the heavens and said, and promised that he would give you uh, power and strength in a way that you had never, ever, ever seen or imagined before. Now, what would come to your mind? You know, when when the Messiah came the first time, when Jesus came the first time, uh, there was a mindset that the Jewish nation had about the Messiah and about what he would do. and, And because of his power and because of his majesty and glory and strength and all those kinds of things, they they had it in their mind what he would probably do when he got there. And of course, they were convinced that he was going to come back. He was going to break the yoke of Rome off of the neck of Israel and, uh, and that he was going to rule and reign the world uh, from Jerusalem and, and uh, Jerusalem would become the capital of the world, so to speak. And uh, you know what's interesting? Even though those things were uh, to be expected in the second coming, of the Messiah, the Old Testament was very clear about the first and second coming of the Messiah. And when it described the first coming of the Messiah, it described a a suffering servant. When when it described the second coming of the Messiah, which which is yet to happen, you know, it described a, a victorious ruling and reigning with a rod of iron kind of servant. And so all of these scriptures were there. Anytime that when they read the scriptures about the coming of the Lord, they would sometimes read the scriptures about the first coming. They would sometimes read the scriptures about the second coming. Well, Isaiah 53, and if you're familiar with your uh, scripture or with the book of Isaiah, you know that Isaiah is the most clearly uh, described. Uh, oh, let me say it again. You know that Isaiah 53 
most accurately and clearly describes what will happen in the first coming of Jesus while he was on the cross. And of course, while he was on the cross, this is where he became our sin. He took all our punishment. He took, you know, he took all this, you know, all of this that we should have taken and uh, he suffered the death. We should have died and he conquered sin, death and the grave. And he was raised up again by his faith in God. And uh, he, and he was seated at the right hand of God. Well, the Jews had that opportunity to read the descriptions of the first coming and then read the second coming. And then they had the 53rd chapter of Isaiah to explicitly, clearly explain and describe and theologically develop an understanding of why he had to die the first time. Now, the Jews so wanted the military ruler to come. They so wanted the one who was going to break the yoke of Rome off their neck. They so wanted the one that was going to come in, really in a kind of a, almost a carnal power, if you will, or carnal strength, if you will, an external ruling. And so they really didn't want the suffering servant to come. And so they took something that was in the scripture and they focused on that. And actually, they became so obsessed with the ruling military leader that they hope and expect it to come back. And, and again, they based it on the scriptures that they actually, many of them rejected Isaiah 53. I mean, basically, they didn't even acknowledge it as being scripture. And in their own hearts and minds, they basically said, you know what, we, we don't want the first coming of the Messiah. We just want the second coming. And they worked themselves into a, a state of mind and, and theologically justified it by the scriptures that, uh, that they chose to focus on, that when Jesus came, just as, as the Bible had predicted, just as the ancient prophecies had foretold, he came as a suffering savior to first bring salvation to the world. And they did not want that. And they were so vehement about not wanting that and wanting something else that they killed him because he wasn't who they wanted him to be. Now, I, I have to tell you, I'm sure you've done it. I, I've done it. You know, I'm sure we've all been in that situation where we see some aspect of God or some promise of God. It is clear. It's in the scripture. We know it's in the scripture. And we will see that which is in the scripture to such a degree of fulfilling our expectations that there's something else that the scripture is saying that we just absolutely refuse to see. Because we're, you know, we're focusing on something that is in the scripture, but it's not the only thing that's in the scripture. There are other things. And so we reject those things that we don't like. We choose those things that we prefer because really we want Jesus to be the Savior that we want him to be and, and uh, not necessarily the Savior that he wants to be. And so we launch down a path, and it's like, we, it's like we have blinders on. We can see these scriptures that say what we want them to say, and they're true. They're in the Bible, and we should see them. But the problem is because we've got these 
theological blinders that are really just based on our opinions that we can't see that there might be hundreds of other scriptures that bring another aspect of what God has promised us, but we refuse to see it just like the Jews refused to see Jesus in his first coming because it's not going to get us what we think that we need. So, you know, when I think about that, I think about Moses. And, uh, you know, Moses, Moses was an interesting guy. Now, one of the things that I've devoted a lot of my life to is understanding people. Uh, I, I realized, you know, I was so crude, and many of you that have known me, you know, over uh, much of my last 49 plus years of being in the ministry, you know that uh, you've watched me develop. I didn't have great manners. You know, I wasn't a mean person. I wasn't a tolerant person. I wasn't a legalist and all that kind of stuff. But the real truth is I didn't have good manners. I, I didn't have etiquette and, and didn't understand uh, sometimes how to handle situations. I might have compassion, but I didn't always handle it, handle situations wisely. And so many times I would create more conflict than I would resolve because of the way I would handle things. In other words, in other words, I just, I just didn't, I didn't have what I needed to ultimately fulfill my destiny, to fulfill my calling. Well, you know what's interesting? We get the opportunity to watch somebody like Moses or like the Apostle Paul evolve throughout the years. We get to watch a 120-year development in the life of Moses. We get to watch a number of years in the life of Paul, where Moses and Paul and other people go through personal transition and personal transformation, uh, and, and ultimately the development that takes place, it really equips and prepares them for their destiny, for their call, for what they're supposed to be doing with their life. And so, so I realized that I just really had so many people problems, or you might say a lack of people skills, that I really began to pursue understanding people. And so when I was reading the Bible, and even now, you know, I'm reteaching the book of John for our school of ministry. And as I tell the students, I am always wanting them to look at how did Jesus talk to the people? How did he interact with the people? What can you learn about how to lead and develop people by watching how he did that? Well, I'm that way with Paul. I'm that way with Jesus. I'm that way with Peter. I'm that way in, in every interaction situation because because most of my life, my young life, I had no idea uh, how to deal with people. I had no idea how to really even be the man that God was calling me to be, the person that I, that I felt called to be. So we, I don't have time to go into it in this video, uh, but I'm telling you, Moses was a hard-nosed man, I'm telling you. And, and when you understand behavior patterns, you start understanding that that Moses, because he he was a he had he had exactly what he needed to have to be the kind of man that God needed him to be. Yet we see that that character, some of those character traits, when used to interact with the people, it didn't it didn't work out so well. And some of that is so very subtle. But because of studied behavior patterns 
almost half of my ministry life, you know, I noticed those things and I pay attention to those things. So, you know, Moses went through these things where, where, you know, he, he would be like, God, these people, you gave me their hard headed and da, 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 da. And, and he would throw all the blame on God and he would express his anger and frustration toward God about, about the people. And, uh, God actually had to lead him down a path and through several processes. I'm not talking about putting him in, in persecution. I'm not talking about hurting him. I am not talking about any of this nonsense about making his life hard so that he would be forced to learn. No, I am just telling you that God put him in many, many teaching situations. It was really interesting, Exodus 33. Uh, and again, see, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life, he was born in Egypt and, and later in life, as you know, and this is where you kind of initially see what a hard nose he was in the beginning, uh, because when he saw uh, an Egyptian soldier uh, abusing the children of Israel, he murdered him. And uh, so that's where he started out from. I kind of, you know, I kind of almost started out from a place like that. Uh, uh, you know, when I was really in my first pastorate, if there was a man in, in my church or, uh, you know, that was beating his wife, I would just go see him and I would just, I would invite him out to the backyard and say, here's the deal. I'm not a weak woman. You want to beat somebody, you jump on me. And, uh, you know, before, by the time we get it all settled, uh, it'd be like, okay, if, uh, I ever see a mark on your wife again, I will be back here again. I know that's so redneck, and I know that's so carnal, but you know what? That was the world that I came out of. You made things happen by force. Well, Moses kind of came out of that same world, and, and he had to grow in God, and he had to see God in ways that up until then, he just wasn't able to see him. So in, in uh, Exodus 33, 18, Moses and God are talking, and Moses Show me your glory. Now stop and think about that. If you if you were expecting to see a manifestation of the glory of God, now here, here remember, Moses has seen God bring forth all of these plagues against all the pagan gods of the Egyptians. He has seen God do some powerful things. He has seen God uh, destroy Pharaoh and his armies by drowning them when they pursued the children of Israel across the Red Sea. So it was just amazing. He has seen all these demonstrations of might and power and strength from the outside perspective, but that didn't mean that he was understanding the, the greater strength and power of God that's going this up. So God says, I will, I'm going to show you my glory. And so in verse 19, he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. You know what? I, I bet you Moses was so either confused or frustrated or disappointed. What do you think he expected to see? I want to see your glory. I want to see the greatest thing about you. I want to see the most powerful thing about you. You know, I don't doubt that Moses was thinking, man, he's going to blow up a mountain. He's going to make a star fall down from the sky. He's going to do something so powerful and so overwhelming. It's going to be unlike anything I've ever seen. It's going to change my life forever. You know, let me, let me just say something. You know, I, I, uh, I say this, and I say this, submitting it, uh, if you will, 
in the hope that I'll have mercy and compassion from you, you know, I tell this, but you know, for years I did a jungle crusade and, um, well, actually, when I first went to the ministry, you know, I spent years ministering on the streets, and I would get into a lot of violent situations. I'm, you know, I, I'm not trying to tell you I'm a tough guy or anything like that, but I, you know, all my life because of being raised in violence, I just didn't back down. I just never, even if I knew I was going to lose, I wouldn't back down. And uh, and so it was, man. I was effective out on the streets because I I, I wasn't afraid of these people. You know, I didn't care if they had weapons. I didn't care what it was. I was not afraid of them, but you know, that was kind of a carnal thing. Now the church kind of put me on a pedestal. They just couldn't believe some of the places I would go, some of the things I would do and, 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 and minister to people. And, you know, they were lauding me as, as being anointed and, you know, having the, having the courage of God and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, this doesn't have anything to do with God. Let me witnessing to them, leading them to Jesus. After I get in there, this got something to do with God, but you know, why should I be afraid of these people? I, I was running with these people just, a, just a, you know, a couple months ago. And so it was the same way, you know, when I went to the jungles, one of the things I did in my international crusades is unless God spoke to me, I never wanted to do a crusade anywhere where they'd already heard the gospel. You know, why should I spend God's money, the contributions that people give to our ministry, why should I spend that money preaching the gospel to people who are in big, you know, the big uh, third world, large cities. And these people had already heard the gospel dozens of times, and many of them had refused it dozens and dozens of times. I wanted to go to the people who had never heard the gospel and had never yet refused it and have the opportunity to introduce them to uh, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Son of God the Father as the Bible presents him. And so I would go in these places and, you know, I would have the communists threaten to kill me. I'd have the witch doctors threaten to kill me. I'd have uh, all kinds of bizarre things happening. But, you know, that really wasn't particularly scary to me. I used to tell people, you know, going out here to these third world countries and sleeping out in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, in a little hut with a thatched roof, that anybody could break into with people trying to kill me. It, this was just like going back and visiting my relatives uh, in Tennessee. It, it, you know, it, it was it wasn't some big spiritual boldness. I, you know, I would I would have liked to take them credit for that, and people try to give me credit for that. But you know what? It it really it really wasn't. Now preaching the gospel, laying hands on the sick, seeing miracles, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, that that was a that was a real for real spiritual boldness. But just being willing to go out there and face those kinds of things, there was nothing uh, supernatural about that. Or there probably was to some degree. I was probably experiencing the grace of God on a level that I just really didn't fully understand. But man, you know, you, you come up like Moses and, you know, he murdered somebody just because, <laughs> just because he could and he felt like they were, they were doing something wrong. So, uh, uh, I would imagine when Moses started talking about, I want to see your glory. There's no telling what type of, of carnal, external manifestation that Moses might have expected. Well, you jump down to, uh, to uh, chapter 34. And so God explains, I'm going to, I want you to come up on the mountain. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock 
and 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 he says and and i'm gonna pass by you and uh, i'm gonna declare my goodness before you and i'm going to declare my name you know i would just love to jump off on this thing about god declaring his name i'm sure i'll get into it some other time in this series but but god said now I can't, you can't see my face. Nobody, nobody can see me and live. Now, I don't think that that was God saying, I'll kill you as much as God is saying, you know, the scripture presents this concept of what I call effortless transformation. Effortless transformation says you are transformed into the likeness of God to the degree that you see him as he is. I tell you, I, I can remember back in the early days of of walking with God, I discovered this secret of effortless transformation. And I started realizing I didn't have to put a lot of hard work into growing, changing, you know, transformation, all those kinds of things. Because, you know, even, even if you did put forth a lot of hard work into transformation, you'd probably change yourself in ways that really weren't that impressive to God. You'd probably you, instead of, instead of becoming who God wanted you to be, you would decide, maybe who you were going to imitate in the Bible or what, who your favorite preacher is that you were going to imitate. In other words, you, rather than God, would have been the one to decide the outcome, who you were going to be after you went through this transformation. And uh, so, so we'd get it wrong. I mean, even if we were dedicated in law and you know, some good things might have happened, we would probably transform or change. It wouldn't be transformation. It would be change. Transformation is when what you, who you already are on the inside actually works its way through all of your being to the outside and everything external about how you treat people, how you think, what your emotions are, all of, all of those things become in harmony with who you really are on the inside. Well, who you really are on the inside is born again, the likeness and the image of God, a child of God, born the spirit of God, the uh, made the righteousness of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and God knows what that really looks like. You know, it it, it would just I, I would just be such a mess, and it is such a mess. You know, many people who put forth so much effort into change, like I say, they change themselves and who they want to be, uh, not necessarily who God wants them to be. They have to struggle with it their whole life, and usually end up in legalism, or they uh, end up in a horrible failure. And and condemned, maybe even maybe even backslide and become angry at God. Uh, but the truth is, you know, when we go into effortless transformation, really we're going to be surprised at who we are. We're going to be surprised at how we change and the way we treat people, look at the world, uh, everything that's happening outside of us that touches the world and the people around us, because. I got news for you. It's going, to be, it's going to be far greater than anything we ever imagined. So in verse 34, uh, by the way, let me say something. I will release an audio series about this, but I am, I'm not going to release it right away. Uh, we'll be really, I'll be announcing it. We'll be releasing it in a couple of weeks. You'll be able to download it. I always develop an audio series to go along with all these free videos that we put out, out here, because there's a lot of people that say, I just want to go deeper. I, you know, I, this appeals to me. This is something I recognize I really need in my life. And so we will develop that and we'll let you know about it. But plus, remember when you purchase one of these downloadable 
audio series. One of the things that happens is you make an investment in your life, but you provide the financial resources so that we can make an investment in reaching the world and raising up 1 billion, with a B, disciples to the Lord Jesus around the world. All right, so let's just jump back in this real quick lap before we run out of time. Exodus 34. So, you know, it says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses, and he's, he's there on the mountaintop, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, I'm going to stop there because when we get into the, the last couple of verses of this, people turn this into one of the craziest doctrines that's not in the Bible. Uh, people will take these words here and they will create this idea of generational curses, which violates the scripture, which is not at all what God is saying here. So we can't even try to, to deal with this because these last couple of, of uh, verses here really gets into an aspect of the compassion and the patience and the mercy of God that is actually beyond anything that, that we understand at, at this time. So God is saying, I am going to show you the, my glory. In other words, you know, when you look up the word glory in the Greek, in the Greek or in the New Testament, man, it is an incredibly complex word is incredibly inclusive. You know, and the Greek word doxa, you know, it's like the brightness, the splendor, the power, the majesty. And I'm telling you, it's pages of those kinds of words when it talks about the glory of God. Now, it actually brings it down to a functional level, which if you don't bring those kinds of words down to a functional level, then then they mean nothing. It's just, but it turns into a bunch of religious talk that really means, that really actually means nothing. But one of the places where my mind races, and by the way, two, two places that we're going to look at. So we're going to pick it apart to find every precious jewel that's in it. And that is, we're going to look at the Holy of Holies. I love studying about the Holy of Holies. I love what the Holy of Holies represents to us. And we're going to look at the throne of mercy and grace. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about the power of God. I thought this, I thought this series was going to reveal to us the power and the glory of God. Well, it is. But see, that's one of those problems. We have an idea of what the power and the glory of God looks like. We have an idea of what the power and the glory of God is and how to define it. And the problem is we are just like those Jews who decided which parts of the scripture they were willing to accept so that they could believe in their version of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. It was in the scripture. But if we reject the full counsel of God and we only take part of the scripture, then the real truth is it, it's really not really scriptural anymore. The book of James tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, when you go into the Holy of Holies, when you get into the most intimate place that there is with God, you don't find God sitting on a judgment seat. You find him sitting on a mercy seat. And I'm telling you, we are going to spend several weeks 
talking about this and how that so profoundly changes everything about your world, everything about your life. Listen, be sure and go to impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Check out all the free stuff that we got for you and pass this on to other people. And I will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.